right. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you all. Hey, I'm just going to uh, praise God today because something, something new has happened in my world and is coming on by leaps and bounds. And that was, I used to read the Bible and I think, well, you know, it says that. And so that must just be the way that I should think. Uh, but it didn't really mean it literally. Hey, don't fall for that deception. I can tell you most assuredly, I am witness to the fact that he, my Lord and God, is good to every word printed in his book. If there's a problem with that book, it's here and it's not there. Praise God. So it's good to be here. And this is a story that is old as time because it's God's story and it goes back to the creation. Make no mistake, a war is raging. Satan is at war against the saints of God and retreat and surrender are not options. Retreat and surrender are not options. We are commanded to stand firm and fight back with the weapons of God and we are amply supplied. In a 1970 public address to the nation, Billy Graham said, the arch enemy of Jesus Christ is always attacking his followers. Nowhere in the world is exempt from this great spiritual conflict, and God has no place for the spiritual pacifist. Every Christian is conscripted for both defensive and aggressive warfare. God calls every Christian to march. Well, the Bible can take us behind those enemy lines, as invisible as they may be, but the Bible takes us behind the lines and it exposes the enemy for exactly what he is and what he has become. He is dislodged from heaven. He has been disgraced and humiliated by the cross of Jesus Christ. And now he roams the earth in desperation Look, well, you know, misery loves company, and he's on a mission of destruction. Now, part one of this teaching on the intel for victorious living um, stressed that there's an unseen warfare and that Satan wages his battle against the saints on the earth, and we focused on the enemy's weapon of mass destruction last week, and that was the lie that Christians can comfortably conform to the world and its offerings and even prioritize other activities over the things of God and still remain friends with God. The devil wants to use that lie on you to dislodge you from the family of God, but the devil's weapon of mass destruction is nothing more than mass delusion because the Bible clearly teaches that friendship with the world is enmity that is a means of antagonizing God. And we should seek first the kingdom of God and everything else, everything else is second place. Everything else is second place. Besides that, the world is Satan's home turf where he may have the upper hand, home court advantage as they say, and he wants to lure you onto his playing field where he can more readily Launch the next phase of his attack, and that is the subject of part two. The next phase of his attack, if he can dislodge you 
from the safety of the fold is that he will bring disgrace and desperation into your life. Misery loves company, and he wants you to be just like him. So today in part two, we will consult the biblical intel, uh, the biblical intel for victorious living and God's way for overcoming the devil's assaults to tempt you into disgrace and despair. Stand with me, if you would, in the honoring of God in the reading of his word. Today's message comes from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2 and chapter 5. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And please, all God's people say amen to that, and you may be seated. Thank you. Well, the enemy of our souls, the devil, is a disgraced and desperate foe. And his decisive blow came at Calvary with the death, which was the Trojan horse, which was the life and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death, the big gun has been dismantled at Calvary. Now all he's got is a bag of gas and he's wanting to pour it on you. But God's got you covered. Amen. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. You can see, I think I have that on the monitor here. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Ouch. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. Praise God. He canceled the record of the charges against us. Isn't that good news? I had charges against me. I had violated the laws and the rules of God. I had not trusted his son. But when I came to that faith, that saving faith, my record of sin is expunged. I dare you to find it. Yes. It's, it's taken away. He canceled the record of the charges against us. He took it away. How? By nailing it to the cross. What a paradox. <laughs> My mind's blown. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, my God. The cross is the chief example of God's divine paradoxes. Well, just when you think you got it figured out, it goes the other way. God's divine paradoxes, divine paradoxes. The nation of God from a barren womb. The savior of the world from a virgin womb. The last shall be first. The servant of all is the master, and the master is the servant. 
Slavery and prison were used to train Joseph to become a supreme political leader. He went from a dungeon to the Capitol building in one day. But these all pale in comparison to the paradox of the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The cross, the cruelest instrument constructed for shaming and executing criminals and torturing them and murdering them, they used it to murder the only purely innocent man to ever walk on the earth. But God flipped it upside down. Through that shame came the highest honor and seat of glory. Through the condemnation came freedom. Through the chaos came peace. And through the wounding came healing. And through death, eternal life. Let's give a hand clap to Jesus Christ and our Lord God. <laughs> Satan has been exposed and he has his death blow. The death nail has been given. It is the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that has set us free and given us the victory. But just as Hitler refused to surrender in the sight of sure defeat, but ran his army and his country into the ground out of a rage, he raged on until the end, and Satan rages on against the saints out of desperation, and he will rage until the end. But because this enemy is hell-bound, and he knows that his time is short, he is desperate to wreak havocs on the saint. Billy Graham gave a powerful sermonette in 1970. It was publicly broadcast. It was pub nationally broadcast and probably internationally broadcast even at that time. The sermon was titled, Satan is Desperate. And he says in 1970... I am convinced that Satan is now desperate. That was 53 years ago. I am convinced that Satan is now, he's got to be, how much more desperate is he today? Just look around you, right? He is now desperate. And he knows his time is short. He is going all out to destroy what? Not the believers per se. He's destroying their witness. He is wanting to bring shame upon the church through you and disgrace. And he wants you to live in misery and desperation. But God has given us intel and God has given us weapons. Now our enemy, the devil, is disgraced and desperate and he wants to lure and I left this blank on purpose. You fill this in the way you want to. He wants to lure you into public disgrace. He wants to lure your son into public disgrace. He wants to lure your mother into public disgrace. He wants to lure every saint into public disgrace. And a life of anxiety and desperation through a barrage of spiritual attacks. And his chief weapon, the gas in the bag, is called deception. That's how he's going to come after you. That's how he came after Eve. And he, his mode of operations, his MO, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right? I mean, that's, that's the way it works. But God's word takes us safely behind the enemy lines and its pages, and we have intel that will crush the enemy's attack 
and, and, and allow us to live as we should be, live victoriously in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6.12 says that our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood. Brothers and sisters, don't look at the unbelievers. Don't look at those who curse and revile you as though they're doing it and they're your enemy. It's the possession and, and the influence of the spirit in them that you need to be angry with. That's your enemy. Not the one you see, but the invisible one that's in control or trying to control. God says in his word that we do not wrestle flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers, against spiritual forces in dark places. That's the spiritual lens that exposes the enemy and reminds us that God's arsenal that he makes available for the rest of that chapter 6, he's got a shield of faith. He's got the sword of the Spirit and a helmet of salvation. We need to take all that stuff up. Those supernatural weapons are ours for the taking. But how many of these weapons are just sitting in the armory of God unused and untapped? God has us armed to the teeth with every power that we need to stand and to stand strong and advance and take up more space, more ground for God in this battle. This unseen, invisible world is real. And there is no place in it for the spiritual pacifist. So, the Bible gives us intel. Last week, we went through the first of seven of these biblical intels for victorious living. Starting with number five, and you can piece these together with last week's bulletin. If you weren't here, we can get you a bulletin, and these are also available on the website. Biblical intel number five. The lie that's being propagated by your enemy is you must defend yourself. The truth in God's word, God's got you covered. If you are in Christ and you still feel an overwhelming need to clear your name for every insult, for every error, or to get back at every act of injustice, then you are operating under deception and allowing the devil to steal your joy and replace it with shame and anxiety. God's got you covered. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 24. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it if you endure it? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, 
but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself, praise God, bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and to live to righteousness. By his wounds, praise God, you have been healed. That's all the defense I need. That's all the defense I need. For you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God. There is no situation so dark or so despairing in your life. There is no accusation so piercing, and there is no slap in the face that is so stinging, but what God Almighty has promised to deliver justice. Satan's arrows come at us from all directions, but God's got us covered on all sides. No one faced a darker, more despairing trial than the Lord Jesus Christ. But even he, the Son of God, he did not make a defense for himself, but he committed himself in trust to the one who judges justly. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. He's very present, and he is our defense. The lie that we have to defend ourselves is one that is laced with pride, and that's a major source of anxiety. Imagine being dragged into a court. Your heart starts to race. You're dragged into a court, but when you get into court, some, the, the clerk comes up and says, hey, I just need to inform you that God is representing your case in court today. God is representing your course your case in court today. He, he's defending you today. So defending yourself is like looking over to God in that courtroom and saying, you know what, Lord? I got this one. You can sit this one out. Brothers and sisters, that is laced with pride, and, and pride is the defining characteristic of our enemy. Pride comes before a fall, Taking matters into your own hands means taking them out of God's hands. It's the bait of Satan to bring disgrace and desperation into your life. But we don't have to live that way. Romans 12 contains intel that keeps us from taking the bait. Romans chapter 12, verse 17, starting with verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is better. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now just think, if you think someone needs a good behind whooping, Who's going to do a better job, you or God? <laughs> Leave it to him. So, rather than take matters into your own hands and feel the need to defend yourself, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, here's how you're going to break the curse. You break the curse. Break the, break, break the spell that's around you. Give your enemy something to eat if they're hungry. If, if they're your enemy, says, if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. 
You know, there's something about the, the harshest enemy. When you see hunger in somebody, that's God's child that's hungry. He does not want that person to go to destruction, and he loves that person like he loves you, no matter how deceived they are, and no matter what thing they've done. We're all in the same boat. One sin is one too many. And Jesus prayed, paid the price for their sins and for yours. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Focus on that phrase. Do you know that last phrase? Do not be overcome by evil. Snap out of it by doing good. That's how you get yourself awake. But being overcome with evil is tantamount to being controlled by the devil himself. And that's exactly the position that he wants you in. And we see it all around us these days. And we see it nowhere, perhaps, more so than we see it on the road, and it's called road rage. Though so many drivers become overcome, instantly overcome, with evil. And if you don't believe that people can be used as a puppet, a hand puppet for Satan, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says clearly that anyone that is not in Christ is exposed to being an instrument of the devil. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. You can look that up. That means that we have people on the road who in a heartbeat can go from being normal to extremely abnormal. One of our very own here in this congregation told me just not long ago that he was out for a drive on the back roads of Bartholomew County having fun, just enjoying nature and praising God, you know. And up from behind, out of nowhere, boom, on the bumper. Aggressive behaviors for no reason. Well, this is a brother in Christ. And he operated, I'm so, so glad to hear, you know, when people give their testimonies, operated in the fruits of the Spirit and sought a way to diffuse. They took a, a, a different road and let the, the person go around. They took the same road and continued the same behavior. This brother was this close to spiraling out of control, but he didn't. Don't take matters in your own hands. He asked me, he said, he said, well, I thought about just stopping and confronting him. Do you know how quickly that that could have spiraled out of control? Internet research that I performed said that gun-related injuries and deaths have gone up nearly doubled since COVID due to road rage. And the 19, let's get the statistics straight, the 2021 U.S., at this, this is an average statistic, 44 people shot, killed, or wounded during a road rage shooting every month in the United States. 44. Every month, that's almost one per state. One per state. I think the states with the lowest rate have the highest Amish population. They go a little slower. But unlike Pastor who says, I'll be here all week, I think I'm just going to lick my wound and move on. 
that was uh, that was an attempt at humor for those of you who. Uh. Yeah. All right, I, I I just want to move on. I, <laughs> quit, dra- quit dragging me back. Anyone not born of God is subject to being the devil's puppet, and uh, he can and he will incite them. Many well-meaning organizations provide tips for avoiding road rage or for mitigating it safely if and when it happens to you. But I, I, I can tell you I'm kind of sad that they left out the best advice, the, the advice that our brother uh, that I was talking to, the advice that he followed. Let's take the best advice against road rage is to, before you get in the car, let's pray about getting in the car. And we say, God will see you in your destination. And let's drive within our hearts the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's some of the best diffusing I've ever heard. Because the devil can't stand that stuff. And if you're surrounding that stuff. God defends his people everywhere. He has a squadron of angels around every believer to keep them in all the ways. Don't take matters into your own hands. Let God defend you in every situation, and especially on the highways these days. Another way to break the spell is to just let it go. Man, I can tell you there is so much power in it. Just let it go. You know why? Well, the Bible says it's to your glory to let it go, but it's to your glory because it just feels so much better. And, you know, here's the next one. You've got to let it go because the Bible said it's a command to forgive. You must forgive. And if you're going to end up forgiving anyway, why not just do it now? Why torture yourself for two weeks and then say, well, now it's time to forgive. You know, it doesn't make any sense, right? Forgive and forgive fast. Ephesians uh, chapter uh, 4, verses 26 and 27. It says, Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and so give the enemy a foothold on you. Be angry, it says, and do not sin. You know, letting your anger simmer overnight is tantamount to having it boil over in the morning. And that brings you one day and one step closer to taking an action that you may regret for the rest of your life. But the spell is broken if you just let it go and let it go fast. Biblical intel number six. You only live once, you know. YOLO. You think, I'm cool because I said YOLO and I got the shirt. (laughs) Right? You only live once. That's a cute catchphrase for those who don't know or don't believe Scripture. And it's a license for self-indulgence. Get it while it lasts. I'm entitled to my fair share. It's now or never. Man, that's desperate. That is desperate. 
YOLO is the mantra of the desperate and the self-centered. Those in Christ's fold who wander into the camp of YOLO end up just as desperate and messed up as those that aren't in Christ's camp to begin with. Just like Esau was willing to trade his birthright for a pot of stew, many people are willing to set this aside the things of God for the things of the world, risking their lives, risking their reputations, and in some cases, putting their very salvation on the line because of YOLO. You know, actually, the lie is kind of laced with a partial truth. We do live once. It's just a matter of where. The deception is that this world is all there is and there is no eternal consequence. We die and go to sleep and that's it. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Now that, is, that is a dangerous lie from the pit of hell. There are consequences and there is an eternal destiny for everyone. It's not a question of how long, but where. There are only two destinations, heaven and hell, and we get to choose. The choice is ours. This world is not all there is, and life is not temporary, but eternal for everybody. Jesus said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall he live? And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.1 assures us that when this earthly tent that we live in is taken down, that is, this tent that is our bodies, when they die and, and we leave the earthly body, we have a house in heaven, an eternal body made from God himself, and not by human hands. There's nothing to fear. This whole psychological warfare that the devil used is easily dismissed. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 5 says, Not only are we going to live forever, those who trust in God are going to live in style. They're going to live in style. We're going to have an extravagant lifestyle beyond our imagination and we will constantly want to fall before God and just praise him and that is probably the greatest extravagance of them all when we find that sensation of being in the presence of God and being able to kneel before him that's going to outweigh everything it's going to outweigh the streets of gold it's going to outweigh the 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 glorious colors and sounds and sights the instant travel, who knows what we'll be able to do. But wow, why would we ever want to leave the presence of God? That's got to be the greatest, most extravagant treat of all time. And it's obvious from the devil's temptation of Jesus that he's a pretty profound student of the scripture, isn't it? So he already knows about our eternal destination, but he's also been informed about his. He's been informed about his. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10 says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet were, and they will be tormented forever. 
the devil is desperate to break the spell of you only live once. To break the spell of you only live once, we must set our sights on the things above. Let's start yearning for our eternal home as much or more so than the devil is regretting and trying to stay away from and dreading his. We break the spell by taking advantage of every opportunity to speak the good news of Jesus Christ to the YOLO crowd and snatch them from the devil's tricks and snatch them from eternal life apart from God in a climate that's way too hot. Those who slight God by choosing to live for themselves are in for the rudest awakening unless somebody intervenes. We who have the truth need to put aside our fears and we need to take to the battlefield and we need to go there with the full balanced gospel of Jesus Christ in a spiritual offensive to reach as many YOLOs as we can to the glory of God who wants none to perish, but all to have eternal life. This is our mission, to inflict as much damage as we can on the enemy by taking up territory for Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. There's one more biblical intel. It's supposed to say seven, so in your imagination, um, replace six with seven. I hope it's okay in your bulletin, though. Is it? Is that right in your bulletin? Well, part of the lie is the slide number. All right. Again, I, I'm not going to be here all week. Forget it. All right. Slide. Biblical intel number seven. You can and must always figure it out on your own. God's word. God's wisdom and guidance is always available to those who seek. Praise the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Do you know what receives the action of humbling? It's the casting. It's the casting that requires the humbling. Notice that this passage draws that correlation between casting your cares and walking in humility before God. As with holding on to anger and always needing to defend yourself, holding on to your problems is also a pride position. And that leads, uh, that leads to, to a lot more anxiety. So it, it actually has and serves... The opposite effect, it heightens your anxiety. The challenge is when we cast to follow the instruction carefully. The Greek verb interpreted as casting is eperipto. Eperipto. You say it real slow a bunch and then you can say it fast like me, but right now you haven't practiced enough, so we're just going to move on. Eperipto means to cast off, it means to throw away or to offer up to. The only other place in the New Testament that this is used, it's used in the old Greek translation, the Old Testament once, 
That's where this verse comes from in Peter. But elsewhere in the New Testament, one place is in the triumphal entry of, of Passion Week where Jesus is entering and he has the donkey and the people that said, Eparipto, their cloaks, onto the donkey. Now, what that means, if you look at, at the meanings here, it, they, it meant that they offered them up because they, they may have gotten them back, but they did the act expecting never to see those cloaks again. Could you imagine being one of those that put the cloak on the donkey? Jesus gets there, starts to, the donkey takes a few steps, and then you go back and say, you know what, on second thought, I think I might need mine. And everyone's going to stop and say, you know what, that's okay. That's not... That, that's the kind of casting we're talking about, the kind where you can't go back and change your mind. You can't go back and change your mind, but the problem with most is, like, I've struggled, and I'm sure that you've struggled the same way. Rather than casting our problems as far as we can over to God, we instead give it this uh, nice little toss like a ball with a rubber band on it so that we can yank it back and examine it again later when our trust issues start to kick in again. Hmm? Yes. So on that thought, tossing to God with a string attached is a sign of deception. That means that you aren't fully convinced and the devil doesn't want you to be fully convinced that your problem is better off with him than it is with you because you might be able to find a tweak or a fix that he hasn't thought of or that he's not willing to put into place for you. The, men, the reason that many Christians fall for this lie is that they do not, when they read the scripture and when they pray, they do not get the instant gratification that our society has taught people to expect. They do not get it. And I'm not saying that God cannot instantaneously deliver you from the problem that you pray for. I've seen it happen. It's happened to me. It's happened to you. And it'll happen again. But that's not typically his way. It's, um, it's, it, it, the, the things that God does for us, he does for uh, our, our best. Not just to put a band-aid on a problem, but to heal the wound. And the most often and pleasing and most beneficial to our spiritual fortitude is what God has in mind for us. Divine aid is abundant. There is no end to the supply of wisdom and guidance and assistance that God will give to you. But you must come to God with what James calls faith with no doubting. James uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 says, If any of you lack wisdom, lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But there is a next part, and it's a spell breaker and mighty blow to the enemy kingdom. It says, Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave tossed on the sea. That person must not suppose to receive anything. The spell breaker is that you give it to God. Leave it there. Don't go back to re-examine it and never, ever entertain a doubt in your mind. Amen. Don't 
take the rubber band and yank the problem back. Leave it with God where it belongs. Casting your care on him and resisting the urge to re-examine that problem is like fasting before the Lord. When you leave a serious problem with him, it is like fasting before him. It is a continuous petition before him until that problem is solved. That's a sign of the deepest kind of trust. It's a sweet aroma and an acceptable offering to God that you placed that problem to, with him and left and went your way. My own experience has shown me that when I cast, it's best for me to cast at night. My dear brothers and sisters, there's not a problem on the planet or in the universe that isn't solved in Jesus Christ. We don't focus on our problem. We focus on our solution. We cast the problem to God. I lay on my bed at night and I cast. I even tell the Lord, Lord, it's casting time. What about this and what about that? I took a new position. I don't, I'm not the subject matter expert. People are going to make fun of me because now I'm the, I've taken on an area of responsibility and, and it's new. What's going to happen to me? And what's going to happen as a result? Well, I cast them. And I find I cast at night. And in the morning, I petition and I ask for guidance. Lord, I cast it to you. I'm not going to go there. But you, my Lord and my God, you make my path straight. So I go to Proverbs 3. Now for the longest time, and if you go to Proverbs 3, um, for the longest time, man, I love it when we get a revelation, especially when you're my age. Uh, you think, well, that's not going to happen very many more times for him. Well, you know what? The greatest revelation is going to happen for me and for you, and that's I'm going to open my eyes and see the kingdom of heaven. Then I'm going to have all the revelation I need. Until then, I'm not going to be anxious about anything. God's taking care of all my problems. Proverbs 3, here's the mistake I made. I don't want you to make it. I would go through and I'd get down to verse 5. And this is not on the screen. You're going to have to use this or your device. It says, and you'll know this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. There's supernatural power. God has put into me in my dire straits. He's given me the answers. And if you remember the, the scarecrow, when he suddenly got his diploma and he said, uh, the length of the hypotenuse of a right triangle is the sum of the square of the other two sides. And then he's like that. That's happened to me at work. Subject matter that I didn't know I knew has come flying out of me at the moment that it was needed by my colleagues. And a bit of a silence and says, that's the way that we're going to go. And I'm like, what's my response? Hot dog. Oh, oh no. No, the minute, the minute that I am with God, I drop back to my knees. And I, in humble grati gratitude, how could I be the recipient of a supernatural answer like that? That was going on. But man, when I got a hold of verse 3, my life changed and it accelerated. Verse 3, let not steadfast love that and faithfulness forsake you. 
I think it's called mercy and truth in the King James. In the original language, it's called hesed and emet. Steadfast love and faithfulness, not just for God, but for your employer, your neighbor, and for the people that are in your life. If you show them steadfast love and faithfulness, God says to bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of heart, and then what will happen? You will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. In the sight of God and man. And what you will find is in your darkest hour, the people that you surround yourself with, that you've poured out God's mercy, and you've poured out that grace and that faithfulness, and you've discharged every one of your responsibilities like you were serving the Lord Jesus Christ. In your dire circumstances, God will send them like angels to fix your problems, and they'll lay the solution to your problem at your feet. And again, you will drop on your knees, and you will be humble before God. Cast all your cares on Him and leave them there, and avoid the temptation to go back and look at Him again, because He cares for you, and He's never going to drop the ball. In closing, I want to leave with this quote from Dr. Jerry King, who is our pastor's pastor. And uh, Dr. King, I believe, is also bishop of Cov uh, Kingdom Covenant Churches in Texas. Dr. King. Dr. Jerry King says often that the entire Bible, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, is the story of violent conflict between two unalterably opposed kingdoms. The ruler over one of these kingdoms is the Lord Jesus Christ, and the other is ruled over by his enemy, the devil. Every detail of Christian life fits within the parameters of the functions of these two kingdoms. Every detail. There is no exception. If we are not building the kingdom of our Lord by the details of our lives, then we are diminishing it and building the strength of the other kingdom. Pastor, thank you for the opportunity to speak um, to God's flock today. And in the presence of God's flock, Lord, I thank you for calling me. Thank you. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.